0: Once again, good morning. My name is Dion. I'm so glad that you're here with us. I'm, I'm glad for all of you who are joining us online as well. Um, let me just say this as I start. I love our church so much. I, you know, I love what we're doing in, uh, in College Hill with our partners there. I love what we receive back as we serve in College Hill. I love that over the last couple of weeks, we brought in 466 bags of, of groceries, 466 Thanksgiving meals for the food pantry uh, that we serve in Bryan Hill. Isn't that amazing? 466, that's clapworthy, isn't it? I love that you do that. I love that there are all of these tags out there on Christmas trees. We need 2,300 gifts. I love that you will go out and you will take tags and you will buy toys for kids and you will buy gifts that kids can give to their parents and you will bless that community and you'll be blessed as a result. Um, let me say this, though. What I really love about this church, if I had to pick one thing, it's that this church, like no other church that I've ever been a part of, is, is a church. It's a place where I see people experiencing real life change in big and in little ways. Now, I think part of that has to do with our, our very intentional teaching. I mean, we teach on real life stuff. It's biblical, but we, we teach it from the vantage point of real life. And, you know, as awesome as all that teaching is... <laughs> yes, yeah, sir. Making me work for it. No, uh, no I, I, I don't think that's really the reason. I see, I think the reason that there's so much life change in this place is that I think for some reason this church seems to get it. That we seem to get the words that Jesus once said. Jesus once said, He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. That's what Jesus said. See, it's not enough just to, to hear the word of God and to nod and say, well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Jesus says, if you hear these words of mine and you put them into practice, it's like you do something really wise. You build your life, you build your house on a rock. And I think that's what's different about this church is that there are a number of people who, who hear the word each week and, and then you go and you put it into practice and things begin to change for you in your life. And I love this church for that reason. It's been no different over the course of this series, Uncovering Contentment. Um, Over the last four weeks, we've talked about some real-life things that are deeply scriptural, um, and we've talked about them as we've gone through. And in each week, man, each week I've heard great stories of people hearing the Word, hearing the truth of God, and applying it, and experiencing life change as a result. Uh, I remember back after week two, I talked about materialism, and, and, uh, and that night I got an email, it was a picture in my email, of a family all jumping together on their trampoline. Because remember we talked about how material things often divide us, they keep us um, separate from each other, they, they get in the way of our relationships, but sometimes you can use material things to bring your, uh, your, your relationships together, and so they, they, they were, jumped on their trampoline all together as a family, not like, hey kids, go do this, they were doing this together. Took a picture, and I'm going, yes, you get it. It's not just hearing the word, it's putting it into practice. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Steve Howard spoke about the genius of gratitude, and Man, I could listen to Steve Howard talk about gratitude all day. He's so wise, and and uh, I find it to be so true. That week, um, he got an email from a a mother who was uh, talking about how in her family that week had just been a crazy week. She had been traveling for business. Her husband had been gone as well. Uh, The weekend came. You know, it's Sunday afternoon, and there's no food in the house, and all the laundry's dirty, and. Some of you live that. You know exactly what that's like. And uh, and so she's making plans to to take care of everybody and stressed out about the week ahead. And then one of her boys, she has two boys, one of her boys was like, Mom, can you come out in the yard and play ball with us? And she's thinking, there's no way. I mean, I, I've got way too much to do. But she remembered what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And, and uh, she said, okay, okay. Uh, And so she went out into the yard, and she said she ended up being in the yard for a couple of hours, playing, laughing. She said at the end of that night, her heart was so full. She was so grateful for the time she got to spend with her boys. Not only that, uh, this is my favorite part of the story, her 10-year-old son went to school the next day. He brought her home a note written in cursive, a thank you note, saying, thank you, Mom, for playing with us. I love it when you play with us. I mean, that's just awesome, people hearing the Word of God, putting it into practice. Um, last week I got, um, after I talked about generosity, I got an email from a single mom. And uh, she talked about how in her journey as a single mom that she realizes that she has bowed a lot to fear. And some of you are in that place where you're raising kids basically on your own. Um, and for her, there's some flaky child support that, that may or may not be there. And she talked about how that fills her with fear. And, but last week she started to pause and to realize, no, 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 God's taking care of me. He's a good father. He's provided for me. He's given me a job. He's given me great kids. He's given me healthy kids. And, and I've been okay. And she said, you know what? I'm done. I'm done bowing to fear. In her words, she said, I'm not going to use the single mom excuse anymore. She said, I'm not going to let that stand in my way of pursuing generosity. See, I love it. I love the way life change happens with, with simple truth, then taken, put into practice, applied in your life, and how that leads to, just dramatic, to, to dramatic life change. And today... Today is no exception to that. Today what we're going to talk about, I believe, is so powerful. But I just want to confess to you at the very beginning that I stink at what we're about to talk about today. Probably more than everything else we've talked about. And I'm bad at all of this. I'm terrible at living a content life. um, But today I'm especially bad at it. But here's what I've been doing for a while now, for the last several weeks. I've been wrestling with this specific issue pretty hard, trying to get a hold of it trying to apply it to my life. And here's what I hope, that at least my wrestling will help you begin to wrestle with this issue if it's something that you are also not so good at. So today we're going to look at it uh, right away at Luke chapter 10. We're going to see exactly what I'm talking about here, starting at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, Jesus is a traveling man. He's just going from one place to another, and that's where all these crazy encounters happen. As Jesus and his, and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who then sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So you got this Mary and Martha, they, they share a house. Um, Martha is, uh, is now, Mary's sitting there rather at Jesus' feet. But Martha was distracted By all the preparations that had to be made. So she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now what I want to know is how old these women are. (laughs) Because here's what I know. In uh, 38 years of my life, my mother, every year for her birthday, when we'd ask her, Mom, what do you want for your birthday? She'd say the same thing. She'd say, I want peace and harmony in my house. And for 38 years, we never gave it to her, not once. Um, So apparently, you know, maybe you don't grow out of it. So these sisters are are fighting. She says, you know, she's just sitting there. I've got all this work to do. Tell her to help me. Look Look at how Jesus answers her. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, if you've been in the church for a while, you've probably heard this narrative before, and maybe you've even heard someone in your life ask you if you are more of a Mary or more of a Martha. Has anyone ever been asked that question before? Are you a Mary or a Martha? Now, if you're newer to church, this just must seem weird to you, especially if you're a guy, right? You're like, don't call me Mary or Martha. You know, you want to fight? Um, Today I'm not interested in making you pick one. Here's what I want to do today. I want to tell you that you are actually a Martha, at least in one significant way. You are a Martha because Martha was distracted, and so are you. So are we, right? Some would say that we are more distracted than ever before in human history. I don't know if that's true, but here's what I can tell you, that we are distracted And what distraction means is that if you're living a distracted life, it means that you cannot be living a truly happy life. Which may sound weird because a lot of us try to distract ourselves from the pain of life or the boredom of life, trying to get happier. It doesn't work. If you're living a distracted life, you cannot truly uncover contentment in your life. In fact, uh, remember this. Throughout the series, we've been talking about these five tips of cultivating contentment from the Mayo Clinic. And again, I mean, I'll say this. The Mayo Clinic, they study how to cure cancer and how to heal disease, but they're also studying our lack of contentment because it's just as detrimental to our well being as any disease that you know of. This is a serious problem. And they've uncovered five tips, and we've loosely based this series on these five tips. um, These five tips for cultivating contentment. Look at number five. See what that says? Read it with me. Living in the moment. Right? I mean, living in the moment, if that's necessary for cultivating contentment, living in the moment, that means distraction is an enemy to our contentment. And yet the reality is that we as people live distracted lives, don't we? It's a way of life for us. Distraction comes in so many forms in our life. We're we're bombarded by it. It comes even in surprising forms. It comes in the form sometimes of tasks and people. Now, I wonder, maybe, maybe you in this room have uh, been asked or you've taken a survey before to find out if you are a task-focused person or a people-focused person. Um, if you have never taken a formal survey about this, right in your mind right now, think like, okay, which one am I? Am I more task-focused or am I more people-focused? If you had to pick between those two, are you more focused on tasks in your life or people? And right now, I want to ask you, if you think you're a people-focused person, raise your hand. Yeah, there's people-focused people that are like, woo I'm people-focused, look at me. You're not afraid of people, right? Yeah. How many of you might think that you're task-focused? Yeah? A little more tentative. You're like, yes, I'm task-focused. Um... And here's what I think happens often in the church, especially with, with those of us who are task-focused. There's some shame about being task-focused because we've heard messages before about how it's all about people, or we've heard you know, this Mary and Martha story before if we've been in the church for a while, and we've had someone clobber us to say, it's really all about people. It's about relationships. So you need to be more of a Mary. And I'm thinking, yeah, but if it weren't for Martha, all of you Marys would starve. <laughs> You can tell which one I am. See, in, a world, in our world, there are people who are mo- more focused on tasks, and there are people who are more focused on people, and I believe we need both. I don't think the point of this, this narrative, and Jesus teaching in it, is to say people-focused people are better than task-focused people. No, 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 no. But I do know one thing, that no, no matter who you are, depending on where you are in life, tasks and people can be a distraction to you if you let them. Now, on Friday mornings, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's go time for me. I have to pull my message all together, and I work on it you know, for, for a long time in advance. But Friday morning, I have to pull it together. I have to get it to our staff for production. And so Friday morning, Friday morning, you want me to be focused on task. You really do. You don't want me to be interrupted by people. Even though I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to be all about people, on Friday morning, trust me on this, you want me to be devoted to my task. Because if I'm not devoted to my task, this 70 minutes that we spend together... It gets painful really quickly if I'm not devoted to that task on Friday morning. And so our staff, they've come to realize that, that even if there's a people crisis, if they've got issues, they wait. Friday morning is not the time. And they try to manage those things for me. And and we've got other pastors on our staff who help out because Friday morning is a time where I must be focused on the task of finishing my message. And even people, even as a pastor, even people can be a distraction and I cannot let them distract me. Now, of course, I've also got plenty of times in life and in ministry where where the focus is really on people, and I have to be careful not to let tasks distract me. Do you see the point? The point is that in life there will be moments where you have to be focused on a task, there will be moments in life where you need to be focused on a person, and there will be moments in either of those moments where the opposite will be a distraction to you if you let it. The trick is figuring out which is which. Which is a moment where I'm to be focused on tasks and which is a moment where I'm to be focused on people and to figure out a way to keep the other from distracting you? So tasks and people, those can be a real distraction. Or what about technology? (laughs) Right, we all know the euphoria of the buzz in our pocket when when you hear that you've got a notification. Someone wants you, they're texting you, someone's got something funny or heartfelt to share with you on Facebook. All right, we all know that. Scientists have, have actually studied that. I'm not one who says, though, that technology is the evil that many people do. You know, I'm so tired of people crusading against technology all the time, and I'm tired of the guilt that's inflicted on people. Let me just say this. That today, it may be true that dads are sometimes buried in their phones, but you know, dads, if you lived 50 years ago, you'd be buried in a newspaper, right? I mean, there are just things that distract us, and it's, it's not all bad. I mean, I think that kids today have the attention of their parents more than any other generation who's ever lived. I really do believe that. That Those of you who are parents raising kids today, you give your kids more attention than kids have ever gotten in the history of the world. I believe that's true. And so if you occasionally find yourself buried in your phone, don't beat yourself up for it. And yet, and yet, okay, so that's one side of it, and yet, on the other side of it, let's just acknowledge that technology can be a powerful distractor. Now remember, not too long ago, um, we were sitting out at the fire pit in our backyard and uh, I'm sitting there with my, my uh, family and, you know, we're doing s'mores and we're just enjoying the night. And then my wife, she was good enough to offer to take the kids in. It was getting close to bedtime for them. It was a Sunday night. And uh, she offered to take them inside and get them ready for bed. And, and she just left me there, which was great because it, it was a perfect night temperature wise. There were stars in the sky, the fire's there. You know, the smell and the crackle and the, just the light of the fire, it's perfect. I actually had a drink in my hand. I'm sitting out there just enjoying the night. And then before I knew it, I didn't even realize it had happened until my uh, low battery indicator went off on my phone that I had been just buried in my phone for 15 minutes scrolling through Facebook without even realizing what I was doing. Here I am, and it's this gorgeous night, right? Sitting by the fire and stars in the sky, and I'm distracted. Who hasn't been there? We know how distracting technology can be. I mean, by the way, this picture up here, is, uh, is called. It's a, a photo from a series called Removed by a photographer in North Carolina by the name of Eric Pickersgill. And what he did is, is he, uh, he just started to see people in these everyday situations looking at their technology. And he thought, wouldn't it be great to pose people with their technology, take their technology away, and then take the picture just to show how weird and eerie this looks, the way we go through life. Three kids sitting on a couch together, not looking at each other. There's something wrong with that. And technology can be, not always is, but it can be a huge distraction for us. What about this next one? Reruns and dreads. Reruns and dreads. I, I remember, again, I'm terrible at this, so you're going to hear lots of stories about how bad I am and all of this today. Um, I remember, uh, or this often happens with me, that um, my, I'll be in a conversation with my wife or with some friends, and uh, my wife will call me out. We'll be in a conversation. We'll be in enjoying, enjoying our conversation. And, uh, and then my wife will call me out, and she'll go, Hey, wait, wait what just happened? Where'd you just go? You went somewhere. And where I went wasn't to my phone, right? That was the last point. Not talking about that anymore. Where I went mentally was to what's on my calendar tomorrow. See, I've got a problem with this, of of thinking about the future in the most inopportune times, even in moments of great connection, beginning to think about the future, what's ahead of me, and beginning to feel a sense of dread about it. Or or honestly, I mean, there'll be times I'm sitting down right there, you know, right down there in my seat on a, a Sunday morning, and I'm getting ready to teach. And if there's any time I should be focused, it, it's then, right? I should be focused on what I'm doing because I've got important truth to convey. And, and all of your time is precious, and I value it. And, and you know, like, man, if I'm ever going to be fully in the moment, it should be now. And, and yet I find myself there sometimes running ahead to, like, okay, what do I have to do this afternoon when I get home? Oh, my gosh, all of those leaves are all over my yard. i got to get them up before the Family Forward event tonight. And Right? Do you, do you know that feeling? Of being distracted by dread? Or for some of you, you think about your future, but it's not dread. Maybe you look toward your future with with excitement. You can't wait until you get to retire and you're done working. Or you can't wait until your kids are just a little bit older. Or you can't wait until you meet that special someone and, and, and you get to spend life with them. See, the future as a whole can be a distractor to the present. But it's not just the future, it's also reruns. And I think a lot of us might struggle with this, reruns. Reruns. Throughout our day, we we just run reruns of how our day went, especially the things that didn't go well or the situations that we didn't handle well. And how often for us do those become distractions for us? You know, you go to bed and you're laying next to your spouse and it should be time for you to connect with your spouse at the end of the day. And instead, you are distracted by running reruns of your day, feeling guilt or shame or feeling disappointment in yourself or in other people about what didn't go well. Or sometimes you're sitting in church and here you are with your church family, invited into God's presence, and yet you you can't focus on what God has for you because you're playing reruns of your week, about the times you messed up or the, the things that you're upset about or the people who hurt you or the fight that you got into on the way to church. Reruns and dreads, they can be distractions for us, or or very close to that. The last one, and there could be a million of these. I'm just going to sum it up with this last one. Negativity. Negativity can be a distraction. I mean, how how weird is it that 90% of our lives can be going well? But if there's 10% that's not going well, we will focus on the 10%. We will let the 10% distract us from the 90% that's going well. Right? Those of us who are married... You can be married to a spouse and you think, my spouse is 90% a good woman or a good man, and and yet there's that 10% of every person that is deeply annoying, right? So why is it that we so often get distracted by the 90% of goodness because of the 10%? Or if you've ever been in a really great moment, a beautiful moment, if you ever found yourself wandering in your mind to a negative moment or some upcoming stress or some unrealized fear... I mean, why is it that that nine people can compliment you and encourage you, but if one person says one negative thing against you, critiques you in some way, why is it that that sticks in your mind and it distracts you from everything else? Seriously, why is that? If you have the answer, I want to know it because I struggle with that. Well, there has been some research done on this, and I didn't know about this until this week. Uh, There's a guy by the name of Rick Hansen, he's a neuropsychologist, he's written a book called Hardwiring Happiness. And he calls this the brain's negativity bias. Here's what he says. He says, the brain is like Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive ones. I mean, just think about that picture for a second. I mean, even if you've never heard this before, you know this to be true, don't you? That your brain is like Velcro. I mean, it just sticks. A negative experience comes along, it sticks in your brain. It doesn't need any help staying there. It's there. And then you've got Teflon, you know, the great non-stick surface. Why is it so uh, true that those positive things that happen, they just kind of bounce off, they, just, they fall off? See, it actually turns out that our brains are working against our contentment. And I think maybe this is a result of the fall or maybe God wired us this way to, to survive uh, you know, negative experiences, help us maybe be more vigilant. I don't know. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. There is a way you can overcome this. And, and Rick Hansen goes on and he says, the way you have to overcome this is you just have to give the rest of life a little bit more time to process. Negative experiences will register instantly in your brain. But positive ones require for you to take about 10 or 20 seconds to dwell on them. You just have to be a little more intentional with the rest of life. Take 10 or 20 seconds and dwell on those things and they'll start to stick with time. It sounds a lot like what Paul said in Philippians 4. We've looked at these words before, but I think these words are so true. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable... If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, Paul knows that negativity. We don't have to. We don't have to be told to think about that stuff. He doesn't say, "Hey, dwell on the hard stuff." No, no, no. We will do that naturally. Paul says, "No, no. no instead, instead, if you want to know contentment, if you want to know fullness, you've got to force yourself to dwell on everything else in life—the good things in life." See, I think it's a lot like what Jesus was actually saying to Martha that day. Remember the scene. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha's doing all of her stuff. She's distracted by all the preparations. She comes to Jesus to mediate, and Jesus says to her, we already looked at it, but I want to read this again. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, right? You're like, your brain is going negative, and you're letting it. You're so distracted. But a few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, And it will not be taken away from her. What has Mary chosen? Not just to spend time with Jesus the Savior. This isn't only about, you know, pious religious stuff. What Mary has chosen is Mary has chosen to live in the moment. See, Mary seems to understand that what's happening that day, this surprise visit from Jesus, that, that it's a rare thing. It's a moment that can't be captured two hours from now, or a week from now, or a month from now. No, no Jesus is there in their living room, and that's, that's an amazing thing. That's a sacred thing, that now is the time to connect. She's embracing that moment. See, I think Mary, sort of like my wife, or, or maybe sort of like you, I, I think there are people in the world who just get this more easily than the rest of us who have an intuitive sense, you're just better at this, of identifying the moment before you that is to be lived. Again, I am, not, I am not good at this. But I think people like Mary are, and maybe you're like this too. See, the bottom line for me in this, in this whole thing is I, as I wrestled with this text, it's not simply a message that says, okay, you got to eliminate all the distractions. Although, you should work on the distractions, Right? I mean, there are some of these things that are totally within your control. If you're tired of being distracted by technology, turn it off when you're sitting down to dinner with your loved ones. Or put it on, do not disturb. I mean, there are things that you can do. If there are other things on the list that you know you do, elicit help. Uh, Ask help from your your sphere of influence, your community, your family. Ask them to help you with those things. But, But see, the bottom line for me is not simply to eradicate distractions. See, I think the bottom line in all of this is that Moment by moment in life, God is providing us with unique experiences, unique opportunities, distinct moments that He intends for us to embrace. See, the bottom line for me is learn to live in those moments. Now, if you're bad at this like I am, if if you have a hard time recognizing those moments for what they are, maybe asking yourself some questions might help. Lately, I've been trying to wrestle with some of these questions, like asking myself, what do I want to get out of this moment? Right, there's a lot of my life that's scheduled already. I know what the moment is. I mean, the same thing is true for you. If you're a student and your professor or your teacher is standing up in front of you lecturing, the moment is for you to listen and to learn. And if you've got a work project that's due and you're sitting in in your workspace, the moment for you is to get that work project done. If If you're at lunch with a friend, the moment for you is to embrace that relationship. But there are all of those other moments in life, and I've been trying to stop myself in those moments, moments that I would just be distracted or just be wasteful to say, what do I want to get out of this moment, or I ask myself this question to what is the moment to be fully lived right now? What, what is the unique moment that's before me that I might not have an hour from now or two days from now that is to be fully embraced, fully lived right now? The, the key words here are identify and embrace. Identify and embrace. Identify the unique moment that God has put before you and embrace it. Lean into it. Live it. I think if we can learn to do this, if we can learn to embrace these moments, it will be life-changing for us. Even in a moment like this. See, we come here weekend after weekend. Many of us do. And I think so often we fail to identify and embrace just how sacred this moment is. See, here we are, we're invited into God's house to be with our church family and to be in God's presence. And I think a lot of us, generally in life, feel a dissatisfaction in our relationship with God. And and maybe this is the reason why, because we're invited here and we come here, but we're not fully recognizing, we're not identifying the moment and embracing it. I mean, think about this. Every week, you get invited here, and the invitation is, is, is just come God says, come and soak up my love for you. God says, come and, and let me center you in who I say you are. Because all week long, you've been hearing other people fill your head with who you are and what they think of you, and, and you've been going off in your own mind about who you are. And, and no, no, God says, J- just come here and let me speak to you about who you are, who you are to me, who I say you are, who you truly are. God says, come here and receive for me gifts that only I can give you, gifts of faith, gifts of forgiveness, gifts of courage, gifts of hope in a crazy world that we live in. God says, come here, come here and just just lean into this moment, live this moment and experience how glad I am in you. Or, Or as my friend Pua Kaufman, who's on staff here, puts it, she says, how God delights in you. And do you know that? That that God just wants you to sit here and to experience the delight he feels over you. And he invites your soul, he invites your being to delight or to be glad in him too. I mean, this is is sacred. And so many of us miss the moment. Maybe it's by negativity because we're critiquing some part of the service or there's something else in our life that's distracting us. But this is a really, really sacred moment. And how many of us miss this moment? How many of us miss the moments that God gives us in the rest of our lives? See, because our connection with God, it doesn't have to stop here. See, I'm realizing in my own life that days can go by where I have not actually connected with God. And sure, I've prayed to God, I've talked to God, I've read about God, I've shared God with other people, but, but you know what I mean? There, there's moments where I realize that a couple of days have gone by and I have not connected with God. And, and as I do that now, instead of just beating myself up for that, what I try to do in those moments when I realize that I'm doing that is, is I try to pause. And I mean, I'll do this when I have a quiet moment. I'm driving in my car, I just turn off the radio. Or sometimes it's when I'm getting ready in the morning, I'll just, you know, in the shower, and, and I'll just pause and I'll realize it's been a long time since I've been able to connect with God to enjoy the things that God alone can give me. So what what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to pause and simply to acknowledge God's presence in that moment. And this may sound kind of crazy, but what I do next in those moments is I simply tell God, I just tell God that I love him. Because it's the same thing I do after a long day when I've been away from my family and I come home and I see my wife. I tell her I love her. Same thing I do when I see my kids at the end of the day. I tell them I love them. and, and, And in those moments where I feel like I've been distant from God, when I've not leaned into the moments to connect, I just say, God, I recognize that you're here. Thank you for being here. I love you. And I don't know if this is true for everyone, but but just for me, what happens so often in those moments, I kid you not, is that in those moments, I can then feel the embrace of God. I can feel his love. I can feel him centering me again in who he's called me to be. I, I I can feel his forgiveness and love and mercy. I can experience his gladness and his delight in me. I can feel it. It's tangible. See, I'm finding out that that's the reward of learning to live in the moment. That's the ultimate reward of learning to live in the moment. But the truth is there are many rewards of learning to do this, from from a more fulfilling relationship with God, all the way to contentment in every other part of your life. But remember what I said at the beginning. If you're going to take hold of this... It's not going to come just by sitting in a message and nodding and saying, I believe that's true. The only way it will change your life is if you begin to take these truths and apply them. And so right now I want to ask you as we recap this series, uh, we talked about these five topics over the last few weeks, five topics. And I want you to look at these things and, and you know, maybe, maybe you've got this in spades. You're great at living in the moment. I'm not. But maybe for you, this is like something you do really well. But over the course of the series, are there things that you know are are keeping you from contentment? Were there teachings that you really nodded along with and, and they resonated in your spirit? See, you probably can't work on all five of these things at the same time, but are there one or two or three of these things that you can begin to apply and put into practice in your life? Can you declare that right now? To say, I'm going to get better at my relationship with my possessions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expel, you know, all this grumbling, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice gratitude. And, and can you just declare that right now in your spirit, that I'm going to begin to put these teachings into practice? And maybe tell your spouse or tell your community, say, hey, help me with this. Or, or maybe your whole community struggles with this, and you say, can we get better at this together, please? Because it's not enough just to hear the truth. Ultimately, you have to apply it. You have to put it into practice. And then when you do, even in small ways, in small things, you will discover that in greater measure, you will uncover contentment. So let me pray for us right now. Father, I ask for your Holy Spirit right now to fall on me and to fall on all of us, Father. Father, I pray that you would help us to uh, just just live in this moment right now with you and to receive what only you can give us, to receive help in chasing after contentment and finding it. God, check us with our ambitions that go astray. Help us not be so caught up in our material possessions. Help us have spirits of gratitude and generosity. Help us live in the moment. God, these are so important and yet we struggle to do them. So Father, right now by your Spirit, nudge us and direct us, inspire us, give us the motivation or the self-control or whatever it is that we need to begin to take just some of these things, some of these life-giving, life-changing truths, and to begin to apply them. Father, we, we can't do this alone, and we know you don't leave us alone. So give us mindfulness that you are here, you are invested in us, you are for us, You are fighting for our contentment more than we are. We trust you. We look for you to move in our lives. We pray it in Jesus. Amen.